Hey, how's it going, Champagne Sharks? Hope everyone's doing well. Just wanted to uh, do some quick house cleaning and let people know. Go to ChampagneSharks.com and you get access to all the links related to Champagne Sharks. You can go there and find it all. And you can find where we are on social media, our products, all that stuff. Also, Patreon benefits, which includes Discord server, book club night, movie night discussions, show notes, newsletter, and most importantly, bonus episodes. So definitely become a patron for $5 a month at patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks. And without further ado, here is the episode. Take care. Hey, so how's it going? This is us. installment two of The White Cannon, where we take like a movie that is not super that's like iconic in white circles but it's not like super well known in among black people on average or it's not like iconic in black circles and see how universal the movie is and how it holds up so uh we have as usual four people with us today i don't know everybody's relationship to the movie but i know vita has never heard of it or seen it which is perfect this is exactly what i wanted and jared has seen it as one of his favorites so um we'll just start with the order that's on my screen so uh yeah we'll let matt introduce himself first hi i'm uh matt crispin co-host of uh podcast chapo trap house i am uh a, a white and i'm here to talk about network <laughs> okay uh next we have jared peace i'm jared ball a professor of communication and africana studies at morgan state university a host of i mix what i like and co-host of the remix morning show on black power media and uh, very happy to be here all right uh we have vita who everyone knows but it might be someone's first episode so all right well i'm vita star i'm a co-host with champagne sharks and um i've never seen this movie so i'm uh, until today so i'm actually pretty excited to talk about it because y'all know i'm highly opinionated so okay yeah. that's, that sounds, <laughs> it sounds good already all right and uh finally we have josh yeah hi i'm uh josh olson i'm a screenwriter uh i'm a white screenwriter um i'm also a white podcaster i do a show called the movies that made me with joe dante and then i do a show called the west wing thing with dave anthony which um will probably come up over the course of this one and uh not just white i guess i'm old because i saw this movie in theaters when it opened oh that's a good perspective i'm actually i didn't know that but that's i was a child i was a very young child but and, and i've seen it about 417 times since then i, I like that you when i'm a young child you said <laughs> <laughs> but yeah um wait who took you as a child to see this movie? I'm trying to imagine a kid watching this. Oh, man, this is far from the worst. My old man, my dad would take me to everything. He was a big Robert Altman fan, particularly. Um, and uh, yeah, he'd take me to horror films. He'd take me to, you know, very, very grown-up movies. Um, it was actually interesting because it gave me something to aspire to, that someday I would grow up and understand what the fuck I had just watched. Got you. And now you're a screenwriter. It's awesome. So, yeah, I only watched this movie for the first time recently but i always knew about it because it's been like parodied and everything and uh so I, I watched it a few months ago and even though i only saw it a few months ago for some reason i watched it today and there was a lot of stuff i didn't pick up the first time but one thing that i found pretty interesting about the whole thing is that 
each time I watch it, I kind of realize how many things have like ripped it off. Uh, for example, there's, a, there's an episode of Black Mirror, which in general, I think is an overrated show. But they had an episode called 15 Million Merits, which I thought, okay, this show is a little overrated to me, but this episode is really, really good. And then I realized it's actually just straight out of network, like totally. I don't know if anybody's seen that episode, but it's totally uh, yeah, that's, ripped off. I that's, did. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I was going to say I did, but the funny thing is I kept trying to remember what the fuck I saw that in. And I just remembered when you said it right now, because I kept saying this looks really fucking familiar. But, but it's ripped I, off a lot. But and, and that might also be true. So maybe that's what it is. Maybe I've just seen it so many times, but I definitely saw that episode of Black Mirror. And I remember like it, it basically mirrored the entire concept. I didn't even think about it until just now. That's the one with well, that one dude, right? Uh, Daniel. The one from Get it. Yeah, Daniel Kaluuya. Yeah. Yeah, and the other girl from Downton Abbey. Don't ask how I know that, but yeah, I seen that episode. Yeah, I mean that episode. Wait, 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 wait. Hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm I'm having a moment. So, so Vita, hi. First of all, nice to meet you. You've never heard of Network, but you watch Downton Abbey. (laughs) Well, (laughs) so my mom. So what's funny about what's even funnier about that is I watch a lot of old movies, so I had never heard of this. Um, But my mom likes. Um, British period pieces. So that she, she says it gives her insight into how crazy white people are. So she loves that. <laughs> and okay. so I'm not even exact. That's literally word for word what she said. So, <laughs> um, so I that's how, so she put me onto Downton Abbey. I was like kicking it with her one day, and then I just started watching that shit. But yeah, so but I'm actually surprised I had never heard of Network because I like I, Mary Tyler Moore show is one of my favorite shows. So I'm actually really surprised. Downtown Abbey is a very interesting fan base. I never watched it, but I've heard from like the most surprising people that they like that show. So I'm not surprised to hear that that you like that show. It's kind of like a lot of mystery in it in the beginning, at least. And so it's not it's not real cheesy at first. The it's also it, do you do you mm-hmm. find I don't want to we should hijack the show and just turn it into Downton Abbey. I, I love good. it too. I, for me though, Vita, do you have this thing? Uh, same thing. I watched The Crown. And it's like one minute before the show begins, I'm like, I can't wait for the fucking peasant uprising to come and drag these people out in the street and beat them to death. And then for the next hour, all I care about is their problems. They're the most wonderful people. And then one minute after, I'm back to rooting for the peasant uprising. See, this is the thing. I couldn't get into the crown because that shit was slow and boring. Oh, you got to give it a chance. It gets it gets better. Everybody tells you that, but it's like you watch it for like three episodes and you're like, how many chances do I give this shit? Because I'm tired. Well, here's great. You can skip. You can start like the second or third season. You'll be fine. <laughs> the whole season? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it's not going anywhere. It's just like little bits and pieces of stories from these fucking horrible people's lives. And it, Okay. I never, no one's ever told me to skip a whole season. That's, a, skip a, whole season. that's a true story one, right? Yeah, yeah. I've never seen that one. Not, we know that the, neither. It's the true story that the white people tell you. This is the if true if story. you guys, do you guys want to come back for that episode? Because we can do that. If you yeah. Know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Might as well. All right. Might as well. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah, absolutely. All right. So keep an eye out for that one. Uh, the reason I had Josh on here was because when I watched Network, I kind of realized like this that there's a famous newsroom speech in the first episode of newsroom uh i don't know if you ever seen newsroom uh vita but it's by this wonderful writer named aaron sorkin and then i yes, kind of realized that's the other one i couldn't think the name of the show but i did remember that one i just couldn't remember the name of the show but yes yeah, i do remember that i don't really like aaron sorkin but the one thing 
that I had to give him credit on begrudgingly. And I said this when I went on the West Wing thing is, you know, there's something that he does good. I'm not sure what it is. It's the cadence, the pacing. There's something good here. And, then, you know, the politics are horrible. The sexual politics are horrible. Like everything is horrible. It's a horribly narcissistic self-insert all over the place. But I like that. And then when I watched Network, I realized, oh, I can't even give him that credit. This is all, he's totally ripping off this guy. This is totally everything. He's he's this guy, but with horrible politics and no intellectual curiosity. And I kind of realized that that original speech in Newsroom, oh, that America is no longer great is shit lib Howard Beale. It's, it's a, yeah. That's a really good, that's a good, yeah, perception. Um, yeah, he, and he's wrapped himself consciously in Petty Chesky. Um, he, he wants you to make that connection. It's, um, you know, I always say, like you say, you said it's that speech he gave for winning the Petty Chesky Award. And I was like, this, this, this feels to me like, uh, uh, you know, he might, he might as well be going out and, you know, comparing himself to John Holmes or something. It's just, <laughs> it's pure self-aggrandizement. He's, he's, yeah, he's got none of the substance of Chesky. He doesn't have any perspective that's, um, and, and, and no sense of the world that's coming his way, which Chesky did. And to the idea he does have a sense of the world that's coming his way, he's fine with it. That's that's I think okay, the other yeah. problem too. I, well, sure, sure, yeah, yeah. But 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 no sense of anything, you know, that we're doing things that are creating a world that we do not want to live in. He's just yeah, he's fine with everything because it's good to him. Uh, I wanted to hear from uh, Matt because I haven't heard from you so far. I want to know your your relationship to the movie. Uh, I believe I saw it when I was first when I was a teenager, and I made it my mission to watch all of the uh, the classics. I, I had a kick where I was I was going to get I was going to absorb the canon, so I would go to the the video store and I would find the movies that I had read about, and Network was one of them. So I saw it as a teenager, and it absolutely kind of blew me away at that time. I was like, "Holy crap! This guy's just." They're just throwing truth bombs all over the place here. And then it just sort of became, like, over time, part of my vocabulary, specifically the uh, the uh, Ned Beatty speech, something that I kind of came back to over and over again as I encountered my adult life and what it meant to live in America. Uh, and so it's always been there, but I haven't seen it in a very long time. So uh, I watched it uh, last week to sort of refresh, and uh, I was like... It, it hit it, it was it still hit the way it used to when I was a kid and and uh, I, all the stuff that I remember loving when I first saw it is still good. Uh, same question to you, Jared. Well, I don't know. Did I tell you that it was one of my favorite movies? I don't remember saying all that. I mean, oh, I, I, I thought you said you. I thought you said that. I, Maybe I mixed things up. I might have said. I don't know if I, I. I don't know if I would have called it one of my favorites. It was. It was. Um, uh, certainly iconic. I didn't, you know, I was a, a little boy when it first came out, but I didn't see it until, um, I don't know, until I was a young adult. And um, uh, it, uh, yes, yeah, so I wouldn't say it was one of my favorites. I just, I mean, I, you know, I guess I always just liked it and I liked that sort of genre of, uh, uh, you know, political drama, critical political drama type things, uh, even if I recognize the limitations of their politics. Uh, and then I keep getting it confused in my memory. I'm glad I went back and watched a little bit of it because honestly, I was getting some of it confused in my memory with uh, Putney Swope, um, oddly enough, uh, which has some overlapping themes. But um, uh, uh, but yeah, I mean, I, it, the 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 few things that came that 
keep coming back for me are one um, that uh, related to the uh, reveal uh, shortly before this film uh, was made or at least came out. We had the first of the uh, what was it sixty nine with where where the counterintelligence papers were revealed, and then in seventy five, I think we had the church committee hearings in this country, where it was revealed uh, very publicly of the intelligence agency's involvement in manipulating the news. So I think on some level the film. I don't know, at least in terms of my own uh, political historical memory is sort of over overlaps with all of that as a sort of uh, cinematic uh, simplification and uh, liberalization of what was happening in real life, which seems to be consistent with with the whole thing you all are talking about, which I did not know before I was looking into it um, for for this show of uh, uh, the relationship, at least in his own mind, to Sorkin whose work does all the same things as I think you all have already pointed out um, in, in a more modern sense. It sort of liberalizes a lot of the serious critique. But anyway, but the film was, you know, I, I certainly enjoyed the film. I liked seeing at least some of it again. And, and as I think Matt just pointed out, the, the, the Ned Beatty speech is, uh, has always been, and even one of my favorite rappers, uh, Skip Coon, uh, sampled that speech, as have I think several others. So it kind of remains so oddly as many as you said, like a lot of black people have not seen the film, but I feel like th- at least the sample of Ned Beatty or the, or the, 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 uh, the, the, the clip of Ned Beatty has appeared um, in some of the, 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 the in, anyway, within the culture a little bit, so to speak. But anyway, uh, those are my, I don't know, five cents, maybe. I'm curious about unpacking what you were saying about the liberalization of, values in this movie because i was curious what you meant by that well i mean you know at least for me part of the critique is is corporate takeover of media uh and and uh sort of uh i think at least some of that at least in that the the compare um at least some of that was in sorkin's uh newsroom uh, you know, and, and this idea of somehow that there was that there ever was a sort of purity of news that this country could return to, that this country, you know, the sort of uh, it was once great and could be made great again in a non-Trumpian or Reagan sort of sort of way. Uh, and that the critique is sort of reduced to uh, uh or at least the, the the real liberalization for me is is not only in the 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 sort of non-imperial, colonial, even Ned, not Ned Beatty's speech notwithstanding so much, but but the the responses that the uh, th- that we never see truly revolutionary responses or radical responses as part of both the critique of what's what what is the problem displayed in these films or TV programs, but we don't see any of the histories of the the movements uh, that are unless they are uh, lampooned a little bit as was done in this in network with the with the liberation armies and that, that one scene where they're saying oh there's the Sibinese Liberation Army there's another liberate there's so many liberation armies going on you know? and then certainly it was hyper uh, lampooned in Putney Swope. So, I mean, uh, um, which is, uh, I, forgive the, my own conflation there, 
But so so instead of allowing some legitimate critique or or revolutionary response that was already occurring, as I said, I mean, the church committee revealed the counterintelligence counterintelligence program reveals the the uh, uh, certainly uh, the black power movement's response to this, the the you know, the radical responses from even the 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 uh, real white left as opposed to the, you know, this Democratic Party you know, shit lib, as you all said, uh, so-called progressive white left. I mean, they were all having legit responses uh, that included the things that COINTELPRO was there to suppress, uh, those kind of counterinsurgency movements that they were designed to suppress. So, uh, but we don't see any of that taken seriously in these films or certainly in in Aaron Sorkin's, uh, you know, work. We get, uh, at best, uh, a Democratic Party response uh, or analysis, you know, and that's sort have, of what I mean by that. I have a question. Um, can you guys hear me okay? Yeah, I can hear you. Okay. Um, you guys would know better than me, so this is kind of to the group. Before this film network, were there other films that had that similar theme where it was media critiquing media? Because I feel like I've seen it in later themes. Because I thought about that. Um, I think it was Jared who mentioned like, well, it's definitely been somewhere in the culture. And I'm thinking, I, I definitely remember, feel like I remember seeing different parts. Like for example, this, this, that statement, you know, I'm mad as hell and I'm not going to take it anymore. Is that from that movie or is yeah. there? Okay. So that was the first time I'd ever heard it outside of other people saying it. And I didn't know that it came from this movie. So I watched it and I said, Oh, that's where that's from. But also um, I'm just curious to know if that media critiquing media theme while being media has happened before this movie, or was this the first time as far as we know? It, uh, it wasn't, I mean, there were things like, uh, I'm trying to remember that it was late fifties face in the crowd, um, that I like that I like Kazan did with, um, it's actually Andy Griffith's first movie. And he was lined up to be the next James Dean Marlon Brando. And he's actually amazing in it. Um, who plays this kind of cracker yokel, folksy good time guy who gets a radio show and slowly turns into, for want of a better word, Rush Limbaugh. And um, that one was pretty prescient. And, you know, again, it was sort of people within the media seeing the way things were going, sensing uh, a kind of dangerous future ahead of them, trying to kind of warn people. Um, there, there were like, I, I can think of another, um, yeah. uh, uh, Billy Wilder's ace in the hole with Kurt Douglas. Exactly. Perfect. Yeah. Ace in the hole, which is, um, uh, about a newspaper man who takes a small situation, turns it into a big story at the risk of somebody's life. Um, and yeah, I mean, there were, there were a couple, but it, but oh, yeah, that's a good one. Sure. Great one. Yeah. 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 It seems like every, like, Especially in the fifties, like in the in that big explosion, like of the post-war, the reality of you know uh, America's new prosperity and what that would mean uh, for media, you saw this like self-referential stuff start to kick in 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 the fifties, uh, and then by but they, it all had uh, an essential optimism to it for the most part. Like there there is a sense that there is a solution for these problems and it can be found through through the institutions that we possess. And then you get sort of at the end of this huge paroxysm, this huge cultural revolt and, and the sort of burnout of the 70s and the complete overwhelming power of this new medium of television, which had its most influential decade as like the defining media uh, in the 70s. Uh, and in that context, you just see this absolute cynicism, this, this, this idea that there is no outside of this uh, and that we can't uh, really do anything but continue to 
be entertained sort of into oblivion. Yeah. And, and you know, um, to go to what Jared said, I think, like, if I have you correctly, I want to make sure I don't misunderstand your point. I think you're saying that this is similar to Sorkin in that it kind of romanticizes some kind of idyllic past or something, uh, that there's a type of almost buying into American exceptionalism that's happening in this in this movie, or is that a too? No, I think a- you got it. I mean, certainly. I mean, there, you know, it, uh, certainly in journalism history, there in American journalism history, there is the same kind of American exceptionalist ideal and narrative that suggests that uh, you know, uh, out of uh, out of nothing or a struggle came this this uh, um, you know perfect, objective, balanced, uh, professional journalism. Uh, that you see even reflected in the network where where Howard Beale is when you know even at the very beginning of the film where they're going out drinking to 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 uh, you know make him feel better with his buddy about getting fired he's talking about how he you know was with you know Edward R Murrow and he was with so and such and the the great CBS you know from the 50s and all and I'm th- and, I, and all you know and and again if you're thinking of from the perspective of certainly people in 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 you know anti-colonial or, or radical political struggle or labor struggles or any any form of struggle all of those media and presses were seen as the enemy so it's like it's just to say, you know, so they're talking about going back to these halcyon days as if the commercial takeover that they're lamenting in these films or or uh, uh, or the or the world that's collapsing around them in, in Aaron Sorkin's uh, products. It, it, while they're lamenting all of that, they act as if they weren't complicit in it, as if they weren't, you know, as if their work wasn't helping uh, the process along by their what I would consider soft political liberalism uh, that that didn't raise or support the critiques that would have you know potentially fixed this country or the world. So that's 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 I hope that makes sense. But that's basically what I what I'm trying to say. There's something else that you're saying that I just thought about too. Like it's interesting how both liberal and conservative outlets have this sort of nostalgic view of the past. Like mm. even in the film The Network, they were con- he was constantly idealizing old news and you know real news and you know quality news this is what real news people are like and and without even any type of critique of the fact that still the majority of them are white men right like running things talking about things they have this one woman you know and even her her character says no people say i'm like a man i'm masculine so so it was it really interesting that there was literally no self-awareness in that but both liberal and conservatives tend to have this perspective of this, you know, overly beautiful past. And it's these other people that are trying to ruin it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. I'm not a hundred percent sure that here's the thing to me, that's kind of different about Chayefsky and Sorkin. And maybe I'm giving Chayefsky too much credit, but there's a part of me that with Chayefsky, I'm not sure if what he's depict if he's just, depicting something or being prescriptive like as in i'm not sure if we're supposed to totally buy in to what these people view themselves as uh, as far as the old guard like and maybe i was giving too much credit but i thought to some degree he kind of understood that despite their so-called idealism like they were hypocrites too like there were a lot of times where somebody would act like they were taking a moral stand but they would keep ending up um flopping like you know when he says to that guy your um 
grandstand is duly noted, Nelson. Now sit down. You know, and <laughs> yeah. the guy just stood up and slammed his his fist. <laughs> and there's a lot of moments like that. And even like that guy, Max, for all his high-minded talk, he ends up, you know, leaving his wife for this shallow, See, that's, woman. To me, that is part of what under, undermines their own... Uh, their own myth about themselves. Because the thing is, one, they are the ones who gave birth to this new media. Like, nobody else took it from them. It's They're still in charge, and now it's like this. They did it in a real sense. But also you have the character of Max, who is, laments these, these this hollowing out of, uh, of standards, this loss of, uh, of affect of these young people, and he still le- left his wife for her. Yeah, and he, he still did that. that. And then had to go her. to give her a speech. It's like... He, there is this, uh, I think, pervasive sense that these people are horrified by what they've created, but it is their own selfishness that has led it to this point where they've taught people, they've taught the younger generation what to value because of what they valued, which is yeah. their own uh, their own selfish indulgence. Whereas I think with Sorkin, he really buys into the oh, absolutely, that's the oh, for sure. Yeah. From the newsroom. Yeah. Like you couldn't have a more different character because his character is God. Like the Jeff Daniels guy is never wrong. Mm. Uh, if he ever fucks up, it's because he's trying too goddamn hard to do the goddamn news, and he always makes it up for it at the end. There is never any sense of his 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 protagonists who are defaming the young having any uh, responsibility for anything. They have only seen <laughs> everyone else around them disappoint them. And I feel like movies are like and TV is so didactic now that they would really make it overt like look what a hypocrite this guy is and somebody would give him the kind of telling off speech like you know that um you could tell where you're supposed to applaud but i feel like this thing to me and again you know maybe giving too much credit but i feel like doesn't want to throw it in your face but when he's telling his wife about this woman he's telling her that she's of the bugs bunny generation she's this and that but he's obsessed with her and he's leaving his wife for her and and somebody um, who's a fan of the show made this observation. I can't take credit for it. Uh, viewer of the show, uh, Sherlock and Loden is a name that he goes by. But he said that while he, when he was describing her, she is TV. When he, when he was saying, I don't know yeah. what it is about her, but I'm obsessed with her. She's shallow. She's this and that. And he pointed out that the character herself is television. And for all his high-mindedness, um, he is going for her. But I don't think... Sorkin is capable of, like, he is a 100% true believer. And I don't even think that Chayefsky is immune to a certain type of exceptionalism. Maybe he does buy into this to some degree, but I do think he is a little more capable of self-criticism than than Sorkin is. And I feel like Sorkin uses the tools of Chayefsky to unapologetically point to, it would be like if Howard Beale was like, you know, I'm mad as hell and I can't take it anymore i you know uh think capitalism is great and people need to appreciate it you know it's almost like it's what made this country great it would be like using the same tools of outrage but to be oh by the way howard Howard beale howard beale does give that speech he starts to remember after ned Beatty talks to him and he starts losing his ratings um yeah i mean where where it falls apart finally for me and i um this is my fear of having matt on the show is he was going to say everything i wanted to say only more coherently um the uh, Chayefsky is quite simply a massively better writer than Sorkin. So his characters are just, he can't help but write more fleshed out characters who contain contradictions and hypocrisies. And, you know, he has he has a uh, significantly less romantic view of the world this is set in than 
uh, Sorkin does. Um, I also would tend to, uh, it's been a long time since I've read much about him, but I think his politics were genuinely uh, further to the left. Um, But uh, yeah, I think, I think those characters kind of contain those kind of contradictions and hypocrisies and which is a key difference in Sorkin where they're all just, you know, they're just perfect vehicles and they all talk exactly like him. Um, you know, his, these, these are flawed people. Howard Beale is genuinely insane. Um, you know, and, uh, uh, so I think there is a fear of change. I don't quite get the, um, with, with Chayefsky, it, it doesn't feel quite so much as oh, we must go back to the way things were as it feels like a, we must not go down this road. Whereas with Sorkin, it's always just, we have to go back to the way things were. You know, like these new tools are great. We just have to use these new tools to do the right thing. So it's like he doesn't seem skeptical of television, just that the toys are in the wrong hand. Whereas I think Chayefsky thinks that the toys are dangerous. Uh, but I will I will cop to this. There might be a degree to which this is a narcissism of small differences. Maybe in a way, maybe Chayefsky is almost more dangerous because he... Uh, doesn't wear it on his sleeve as much as uh, Sorkin does. Like, so I'm going to throw that, throw that idea out there. Is it, there is a difference along a spectrum is in a way Sorkin almost is in a way, I think Sorkin's way easier to reject, but if Jared is right and there is some kind of exceptionalism or whatever going on, does the fact that Chayefsky is so much more convincingly radical seeming in that exceptionalism almost make him more dangerous for the status quo. I mean, as far as perpetuating the status quo. So I, so this is funny that you asked that because in my mind, that's always the case in, in just in how media, especially corporate media and white supremacy in general operate in the sense that it's kind of, yeah, it's great. You made this movie and I get the story and I actually appreciate that Howard Beale's character is kind of a joke to me. Like I couldn't even take him seriously in the beginning. He was never a character I could take seriously. So I actually thought that was well done because I didn't. He, he didn't come across as this as the same. What's that movie? What's that TV show called? You talked you talked about earlier the one that was um the Sorkin TV show West Wing and Newsroom. But I, newsroom. I was thinking particularly in, in this case Newsroom. Newsroom. I'm thinking Newsroom. I've never seen West Wing. Um, but Newsroom. In that I felt like in Newsroom it was supposed to get me as the watcher, you know, galvanized. As the, t- as the as the viewer, like, yeah, f- you know, fuck media, you know, kind of thing. Whereas I didn't necessarily get that in the network. I kind of got from Jump, he was kind of a joke. Like, he he just wasn't somebody I, I personally took seriously. Um, so I did appreciate that. But at the same time, I always have that skepticism when it comes to media, white media in particular, critiquing itself. Because I always ask myself, well... What does that mean then? Like what? Like what? What does that I'm mean? I'm not then? sure. Like, so what? I, I, I'm not sure if Newsroom is saying "fuck media" so much as it's saying "fuck Fox News." Exactly. But the reason I pointed out the "fuck Fox News" thing is because I feel like Sorkin makes you think media is not the problem. It's that there's these bad guys. Like for example, when Sorkin gave the speech accepting accepting uh, the Chayefsky Award. He made it about Trump and Fox News and all this stuff, as opposed to where I feel like Chayesky is like, uh, he, he thinks television is this totally consuming force that'll ruin um, everything. And and I think what Jared was talking about, about how there is no, um, 
revolutionary voice shown or taken seriously or anything. I don't think, I'm not a mind reader, this is just uh, my opinion, but I don't think Chavsky was saying that none of those things exist. I think his idea is that anything, no matter what it starts out as, under television can't help but become this hollowed out, uh, shallow version version of itself. So it wasn't so much to me that he was saying, yeah, I'm sorry, go on. Well, well I'm saying I get that, but well, first of all, I, I, first of all, I know they know that these movements and people and ideas existed. So the, the issue only is for me is that uh, uh, the only response to make the point they want to make is to uh, offer, you know, Beale getting shot to death in the studio or whatever happens at the end of network. You know, it's, it's you know, trying to make some, um, what I would consider some, some more abstract, uh, you know, you know, point about uh, society and the news. And to your point about anything co-opted and, you know, brought into the, into the news can be corrupted or whatever, blah, blah, blah. Uh, uh, but my point is, is that, it, it, and that's fine. I'm just simply saying that, that what prevents it from me from becoming more of an, of a, of a politically advanced product would be, uh, uh, I don't know, some exploration of some of these ideas uh, in their critique, as as opposed, because in other words, the 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 radical world I'm vaguely describing here had a critique of media and a response to it that was not vague and was not sensational and was not just some you know guy getting shot in the studio, but involved a lot of different things, including the production of their own media, the creation of their own news networks and their own uh, uh, news distribution systems, etc., uh, uh, and in their own even uh, guerrilla attempts to disrupt the broadcast and distributions of major stream media. So in other words, it, 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 that that people were connecting it to an actual lived political struggle as opposed to to leaving it as uh uh you know uh I guess in this case a bourgeois white male filmmaker would do you know that's the best we could get. But the other paradoxes here that I just wanted to quickly throw out that I think are interesting, one to Vita's point uh or one of her points we will never, there's no, I'm not aware of any space where black media is criticized by black people uh, outside of, of obviously podcasts and shows like these and other, but, in, but there's no, I'm not aware of any commercial media product uh, produced by or for black people that has black people critiquing black commercial media or black media in general. So I think that's an interesting paradox. Another one of course is, is that for whatever I'm saying might be the shortcomings from my point of view of Chayefsky, that film is as worlds more advanced, I think you all have noted from Aaron Sorkin, but also to Sorkin's defense, sort of, is that the other part of the paradox is that you couldn't make a movie like Network Today, even if you were a Chayefsky or even a better writer or filmmaker. The, 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 the context is so much more politically conservative today than it was in the 70s. Uh, that that uh, you know the best we could ever hope for would be someone like an Aaron Sorkin because as long as you don't go left of the MSNBC uh, uh, CNN Democratic Party politics you can uh, you, you know your criticism is is welcome. I think an irony of what we describe what we're describing right now is I think what happened with um, network. And how it's been kind of watered down by corporate media since then to become things like, uh, you know, the newsroom is over a long timeline, kind of what happened to Howard Beale uh, within within the movie. How, you know, it just 
or whatever message he had, however sincere you think it was or wasn't, just kind of ends up like a watered down um, caricature of itself at the end. And uh, yeah, I mean, I agree with um, some of what you were saying. And actually, no, I think I think I agree with probably almost all of it. But I think there I wouldn't you go say- get that percentage up. What's that? Get <laughs> the percentage up of your agreement with me. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't. Um, I wasn't saying that you were saying Chayefsky was unaware of these uh, nascent movements and criticisms. I think what he was saying was that there is no way those things can survive within the purviews of mainstream corporate corporate media they wouldn't even be allowed um within within the doors and you mentioned about the ideas of an you know alternative media and things like that and i think that would have been a good angle to put into the movie but then i feel like it would just would have made the scope of the movie maybe too big no i, I that's a legit point i, I that's a, your point well taken i don't the only thing well the first thing the only thought that I had in response to that was that again in the 70s and even into the 80s you had more of uh, a willingness of of commercial white media to include black radical voices certainly than you do today so you would have uh, you know you would have Huey Newton on ABC primetime news debating um, um, is it Brinkley Uh, was it uh, uh, that's not the right name I'm forgetting Buckley thank you uh, you would have Amiri Baraka invited into those spaces. I mean, you would have Angela Davis invited to those kinds of media spaces. Uh, or a show, like Gil, 90s, a show like Gil Nobles, like that would never. Well, certainly Gil Nobles, today. but I'm but I'm talking about white mainstream. I'm talking about you know prime time, Meet the Press, Sunday morning, you oh, know yeah. whatever the equivalent was to then. You would have them there. Uh, uh, they weren't necessarily. I mean, it was they were debated. It wasn't that they were given free reign. But you know, uh, you, you would see more of that then. You would never see anyone with Huey Newton's politics today uh on commercial white mainstream media you don't see anything left of you know i guess black lives matter or something like that so so mm. you know it, a good it, one it, too anyway, donahue. Yeah. donahue i was, was just about donahue, to say exactly. that i was just about to say that damn it which is why even why when he had the most popular news program in 2003 on MSNBC because he was against the war, they got rid of him. He, and actually, he wasn't even against the war. He just had people on who were questioning the war. And, and that was all it took for them to remove him. Mm. And that's sort of my point. He, he, he could have Farrakhan on, and, and which I don't necessarily, we could debate how radical that, that is vis-a-vis Huey Newton or Kwame Ture or somebody like that. But he would have Farrakhan on. He would have- Sister um, I'm drawing a blank. Sister Soldier, thank you. He would have guests like that on, uh, on on a you know rel- relatively speaking, at least for for talk TV, prime time talk TV. But we don't we, that kind of that voice would never be on. Uh, that voice was ne- wouldn't would have never even been on Oprah, much less uh, whoever's out today. All right, y'all. So that is the end of part one go to again patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks or click the link in the show notes to get part two be good